0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to All Good Points. It's your favorite sports podcast that's hosted by me, Ricky Gray Jr. The stage is set for Wild Card Weekend, and honestly, guys, I couldn't be more excited. Let's take a look at the games this week and see if we can get an idea of how it's going to play out. I've also got some questions to answer, so stay tuned for the Q&A. Remember to rate and review All Good Points on your favorite podcast platform. Follow me on Instagram at All Good Points Podcast and on Twitter at Ricky Gray Jr. Now let's start the show. guys so first off i have to say happy new year's eve or happy new year or if you're like a day ahead of me um happy brand new year that you get to get an early start on that i'm still behind on i don't know honestly guys i don't really know the semantics of uh of what day it might be or what day you're listening to it on but either way let's roll into 2020 on a positive note Um, and let's, let's kick this thing off with some fun because I do have a lot of breaking news for you guys. If you don't know, Freddie Kitchens is out. The Browns fired their head coach, Freddie Kitchens. Also on top of that, the Giants let go of their head coach, Pat Shermer after two seasons. Now, I don't want to say that that was like a little bit too fast, but at the same time, I do feel like it's a little bit too fast. I think Pat Shermer is actually a pretty good coach. I think maybe there was some things that were going on in New York as far as, you know, other – issues, you know, offensive line and things like that. And Saquon was hurt a little bit too. So there were some things there. The Freddie uh, Freddie Kitchens firing, I think that makes like a whole lot of sense because he he really needed to go. Uh, Jay Gruden was another coach that got fired, but he got fired earlier in the year. And Ron Rivera was another coach that got fired a little bit earlier in the year. Ron Rivera, though, has pretty much, I think actually it's official that he landed his job over in Washington. So he's going to be the new head coach for the... uh, the Washington Redskins more than likely right now. It says that they're expected to hire him, but I imagine that, you know, probably somewhere around, you know, tomorrow or the next day, they'll release all the, uh, all the specifics of the situation. Now, one of the other questions is the, uh, the, the Jason Garrett position. What's going to happen with the Dallas Cowboys. Do they want to let him go? Do they want to keep him? He's got signed for, you know, contract a while back. They can kind of get their way out of it or they can kind of move on from him. The thing is, it doesn't seem like Jerry is going to make that decision very early on. Like I don't I don't think that we'll be hearing about that in the next, you know, month or two or anything like that. I think that the decision would get made much later on, like I would say, tw- probably towards the beginning of next year is when we'll we'll actually hear about it. Um, not not the beginning of the next actual season, but like the beginning before um, training camp is when I think that you'll hear whether or not Jason Garrett is going to have a job or not. I don't think that Jerry's going to kind of let this thing get too public. They have another meeting scheduled, so that's kind of that's kind of up in the air. It's not necessarily. Uh, Something that you know is is gonna make its way to the surface very quickly, I would imagine. Um, so Bruce Arians, uh, another another coach, another former coach uh, that you guys might know and love, says that you know the Bucks can win with any other quarterback besides Jameis Winston. If you guys didn't know, Jameis Winston had a horrible year. Now the funny thing is, you could think of it as like if if you thought of it in the sense of, you know, passing yards and passing touchdowns and things like that, because he threw for over 5,000 yards, he threw for 5,109 yards, right? But he had 33 touchdowns, which is great. It's It's really, really great that he had, you know, that many, that many touchdowns. But at the end of the day, he had 30 interceptions. So you're like, you're like eighth in the league or second in the league in touchdowns thrown, but you're last in the league in interceptions. Like you threw so many interceptions. That is horrible. 33 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. That's just insane. Um, And at the end of the day, I, I do think that the Bucks need to make a decision as far as moving on from James Winston. There's so many young quarterbacks out there. There's so many quarterbacks that they could get. Even, even if we're talking, you know, past draft point, even if we're talking about, you know, guys that they could trade for, guys that they could make move, uh, moves for and things like that, it just seems like they're so stuck on this James Winston idea, like like it needs to work. The funny thing is, if you look across the pond over in, um, over in Tennessee, not that that's across the pond, but you know what I'm saying. If you look in Tennessee, Tennessee thought that they had, you know, their diamond in the rough when they drafted Marcus Mariota out of Oregon, right? You know, some years later, I think it was about five years later, they realized, you know what, Marcus, you're probably not it. Like you're, you're probably just not it for us. So we're gonna have to move on from you. So they bench him and they start Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Ryan Tannehill takes Tennessee to the playoffs. The the Tennessee Titans are currently sitting in the playoffs. We're gonna be talking about them in a second. So that's kind of like what I think that the Bucks need to do with this James Winston situation. It just kind of seems strange that they're holding on to this idea. Like, like it has to work. Like there's no other option out there, but the funny thing is they have all of the options in the world as to what they could do in the event that they decided to move on from James Winston. You don't need to have him, You know, you don't need him to win. Clearly you can win without him. Um, that's just my two cents on James Winston. Eli uh, Manning is considering retirement, not a backup quarterback role. I uh, uh, completely and 100% understand and sympathize with Eli Manning in the sense, I do think that it's about time that he hangs up the gloves um, and and kind of lets, lets, lets Daniel Jones take the reins. He's not going to be, I don't think Eli Manning goes anywhere else and, and becomes a starting quarterback. I just don't. I think a lot of people are set as far as quarterbacks go. Even with situations like the Bucks and the Raiders, two teams that I think should move on from their quarterbacks, I don't think that their solution is somebody like Eli Manning. I think it's about time that Eli says, you know what, it's time for me to walk away from football, Uh, maybe take a role, you know, within the organization. I don't see any problem with that at all, but I don't think that he needs to be playing quarterback anymore. Um, There's uh, some drama surrounding Adam Gase and uh, Le'Veon Bell. Who would have thought that that was going to happen, right? Le'Veon Bell, one of the most, like, drama running backs in the league. Of course, they're going to have problems. Of course, the Jets aren't very happy with their season. That is, I mean... That it's it's so strange because you would imagine that Le'Veon Bell and Adam Gase both knew what they were getting into when they brought Le'Veon Bell over. Like you know what team you're playing for. Did you think that you were going to jump on a team and get like eleven or twelve wins, go to the playoffs? No, that's not what the Jets are. The Jets are in a process of trying to build their team. So you think he would understand the way that it works? Apparently not. Um, does it surprise me? No, I don't think anything that Le'Veon Bell does um, uh, su- surprises me at this point. I just, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I don't want to say disappointed because I do really love him as a running back. I think he's a great running back, but at the same time, it's like a lot of these guys just seem to have these attitude issues, you know, it just, it really seems like a lot of these guys have attitude problems and there's not really been any way that anybody could correct it. They don't really listen to anybody. And it, it with two particular players from the Steelers, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, it kind of just seems like okay. So you were the best of the best on the Steelers, and then you left, and now nobody knows how to deal with you, and nobody knows how to handle you. Your your attitude and your your behavior is completely out of whack. Your I mean Antonio Brown is his, his is like his own situation where. I mean, who can predict what the next thing that guy's going to say? If you could do that, do you know how much of a millionaire you would be if you could like predict what Antonio Brown was going to say and then like bet on it? You would be a millionaire at this point, probably even probably even better than a millionaire at this point because the dude says some outlandish stuff, so you'd probably get some crazy good odds on it. Um, but let's talk about this wild card weekend that I know you guys are excited for. You know I'm excited for. So coming up first on Saturday, January fourth. We've got Buffalo at Houston now. Buffalo has to travel to Houston. See, here's here's where I think it gets interesting. Buffalo is a good football team, okay? And I know you guys have been hearing me say that for a while now. Buffalo is a good football team. You know, I've, I've been saying that. Uh, uh, a lot of people have been putting kind of like a Buffalo on the back burner, acting like they're not a ten and six team, acting like they're not six and two on the road, acting like Josh Allen hasn't thrown for over three thousand yards. It's kind of, it's bothersome that they're getting put to this point of being like, oh, they're not a good football team. They've got a solid defense. They're coming in as minus three, or um, sorry, pl- uh, plus three against the, uh, the Houston Texans. Now, th- there's a couple of things about the Texans that I think we should note, right? The Texans are either hot or they're cold. They had a game against Denver that they lost 38 to 24. Then they went and beat Tennessee 24 to 21. Then they went and beat uh, Tampa Bay twenty-three to twenty, and then they had their final home game against Tennessee, the last game of the season, where it was like put up or shut up. And if you beat Tennessee, you kick them out of the playoffs, and they lose thirty-five to fourteen. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about when it comes to when it comes to Houston. They're so hot and cold, and I think that's the thing that kind of bugs me about Houston. Whereas when it comes to Buffalo, I think Buffalo plays really consistently, and they play. I mean pretty good football. They were able to stay in contention with the Ravens. That's a team that is very, very hard to stay close to. Uh, They only lost by seven points there. They were able to beat the Steelers 17 to 10. They almost beat the Patriots. They were able to beat the Cowboys 26 to 15. I mean, this Buffalo Bills team is is a very, very good football team. They're eighth in the league in rushing. Okay. They don't score a whole lot of points, but they also don't give up really any points. They only allow 16.2 points per game. So this isn't a team that's necessarily like bad, you know, and and for the, the credit that they get, I think it's just really strange that people are kind of letting it slip under the not really under the rug, but like they're kind of brushing them to the side. And they have a habit, you know, media people have a habit of doing that with teams that don't necessarily garner a whole lot of attention. Do I understand it? Absolutely. I understand that, you know, sometimes there's certain teams that you want to, um broadcast because it's easier to talk about them uh, there's there's a lot more to talk about there so I do understand that but at the same time I think the bills need to get some respect and I think I think this is just me now you can disagree with me you can disagree with me go ahead and at me on Twitter at Ricky Gray Jr. you can disagree with me feel free. I do believe that Buffalo takes this game from Houston and moves forward uh, moving on Tennessee at New England this is gonna get weird guys I I can promise you one thing this is gonna get weird. Tennessee has a good a good record against New England, especially recently. They were able to smack New England pretty hard last year when New England had to head to uh, head to Nashville. This time Tennessee has to go to Foxborough and play in Foxborough. This is another time where a, you know, 9 and 7 Tennessee Titans team under the new tutelage of, of Ryan Tannehill has to play somebody as experienced as Tom Brady. Th- the only thing that I'm going to say here is that New England hasn't experienced Derrick Henry yet Derrick Henry is a very very strong running back he's a very good running back he's our leading rusher okay the NFL leading rusher and to add on top of that this A.J. Brown kid that the Tennessee Titans have that's a hard man to guard now where it's gonna get dicey is in the secondary for Tennessee Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time right so one of the things that he's very very good at is picking apart defenses and to be fair, Tennessee has a very, very easy defense to pick apart. I think that's kind of where it comes to the uh, who scores first kind of deal. I think this is going to be a who scores first kind of game is going to win the game. New England, um, stout passing. If they can run the ball well, uh, I think that they can do they can do a lot. On the opposite side of the ball for, uh, uh, for the Patriots, they're going to need to stop Derrick Henry. If they can stop Derrick Henry then they have a pretty good chance of winning this game. I will say the only, the only kind of outlier there is if Ryan Tannehill, a former Miami Dolphins quarterback, let me remind you, a former Miami Dolphins quarterback, when Miami was beating New England, just saying, anyways, if uh, Ryan Tannehill has one hell of a game, then this could turn into a shootout. I mean, this could turn into a pretty crazy game. The, only, the, the other the other side of that is that the, this is going to be in Foxborough, so it's going to be very, very cold, and I don't think Tennessee is used to playing in that cold, so I'm going to have to take New England, um, not necessarily because I don't think that Tennessee can win. I do think that they can win. I just think that, I truly think that New England just has more experience than Tennessee at this point so it's going to be an experience thing versus, uh, versus a talent thing. Cause I do think Tennessee is a talented team. Uh, moving on, we got Minnesota at new Orleans yet again. It's like a trilogy thing. You know, first you had bounty gate, then you had the Minneapolis miracle. Now you get a third. Now you get the three Pete between Minnesota and new Orleans. And, um, man, this is, uh, this is game of the year, almost potential. Uh, you got the ten and six six Minnesota Vikings heading to New Orleans to play the thirteen and three Saints. Uh, Drew Brees has been on a on a tear recently, and honestly, honestly, I don't think that Minnesota's offense can really keep up. We kind of saw something happen against Green Bay where if the ball's not moving on the ground, there's there's nothing as far as Minnesota's offense goes now. One of the biggest problems that I have with that, first of all, I love running the ball. You guys know me. I'm a, you know, tenacious kind of uh, football analyst. I love it when people can run the ball, when people can pound the rock, when people can, you know, keep their time of possession high and keep their offense on the field, which is what running the football is. The problem is when it becomes so one-dimensional that once teams cue in on all them having to do is stop your run, then you're kind of fucked. And that's really what's happened with Minnesota in the last couple of weeks that we've been able to see. You saw when they played Green Bay, once Green Bay was able to just shut down that running game, that was it. That was it. There was nothing after that, okay? And that's not to say it's anybody in particular's fault. It's not necessarily, and a lot of people want to know, like, you know, who I place the blame on. Do I place it on, you know, offensive play calling? Do I place it on Zimmer? Do I place it on the QB? Do I place it on the running back? Here's my thing. I don't I don't think any sole person is responsible for the blame of Minnesota's lackluster offense. I think it's more around the lines of being like the collective, right? It's this collective mentality that we've gotten into that we have to run the ball. We have to we have to we have to. The problem is if you if you do this have to have to have to and you can't adapt and change when it's not working and and kind of you know, mold the game to fit your script to where you can get your offense moving down the field, then you just become stagnant. You become this stagnant offense, which is exactly where Minnesota is at right now. They're a very stagnant offense if they cannot run the ball. Uh, New Orleans is not going to just let them pound the ball with Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison and Mike Boone. They're not going to do that. They're going to, they already know all they have to do is load the box, put together different blitz packages, tackle well at the line of scrimmage, and, and that's it. Okay. And then it becomes, you know, Kirk Cousins versus Drew Brees. And I mean, do I need to tell you who wins that? Do I really need to tell you who wins that? So based off of the one dimensional kind of offense that Minnesota has, and you know, their defense has been coming uh, coming into play late here in the, in the year, which, you know, it's better late than never. I'll say that much. But at the same time, it's I don't think that that defense is, is strong enough to really do anything against the New Orleans offense. Um, not to mention Xavier Rhodes versus Michael Thomas, that is just a mismatch. that is going that's I mean can't guard Mike is going to be open all day. I do not see, uh, unfortunately, because I of course I would love to see it, but I do not see Xavier Rhodes or really anybody else in the Minnesota secondary being able to cover Michael Thomas all game long. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say that the Saints move on from there. I know you guys are going to hate me for that one. I apologize. Not really, though, if you think about it. I do think Minnesota plays well against the Saints. If there was anybody that I could have picked out of everybody that you know we could have ended up playing or had the potential to play, yes, it's the Saints. I, would, I will pick the Saints 10 times over everybody else. I just don't think that we win this time. I just don't think that this one's ours. Um, moving on to the last one for Sunday, Seattle at Philadelphia. Now, I could easily, I could easily do this, like you know, super quick and say Seattle wins and and be done with it. But there's a couple of reasons why I'm I'm gonna you know expound on this a little bit. Philadelphia has been plagued with injuries almost the entire time, and they go into this game for some reason, for some reason, you know, a favorite to win, not a favorite along the spread, right, but a favorite between like you know, ESPN an- analysts and things like that. But, um. The they've got guys out on the offensive line. You know, Lane Johnson might be out. Uh, Miles Sanders, their running back, might be out. Zach Ertz might be out. Uh, Brandon Brooks, one of their guards, is going to be down. Uh, so they they've still haven't ironed out this wide receiver situation. And although Carson has been able to make do with what he has, it's not enough. You know, it's really not enough for what Seattle has going on on their side of the ball. Seattle's a very strong defensive team. Uh, we saw a great game against them versus San Francisco. Probably, I would probably say San Francisco is either the second or third best team in the league. So we saw how well Seattle did against them. I don't put the Philadelphia Eagles in that category. And unfortunately, not really, but for me anyways, I can't say in good conscience that, you know, Philly can win this game. The The only plus side I would say for Philly is that they're playing at home. If they went to Seattle, I think it'd be a slaughter. But I do think that this is going to be a, a, a tight game. I just think it's going to be more tight in the sense of like maybe maybe Seattle wins by 10. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't want to say that it's going to be like a blowout or anything like that, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be something that's close. I think it'll be something along the lines of like, you know, maybe Carson can drive down the field or something like that towards the end, but he just can't get it done because he has nobody to throw to, which is what the Eagles biggest problem is right now is that Carson just doesn't have anybody to throw to. Um, But that is it for me. I'm going to be talking about uh, answering some questions. So give me a couple of seconds. We're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to answer a couple of questions. All righty. So our first question comes from Nicole Santangelo and she asked my honest opinion on Kirk Cousins. Um, Let me take a second on that. So Kirk Cousins is what I would imagine, or what I would categorize as a very um, hmm, order-oriented quarterback. I don't think he can make a whole lot of decisions on his own. I don't think that he's necessarily the best at reading defenses and things like that. I think he's one of those uh, one of those quarterbacks that. They kind of know what they're going to do before the play or uh, before the play starts, and I don't think that there's any real improv after that. I don't think that there's a lot of um, a lot of forward thinking. I think he knows the way that the play is supposed to go, and he tries to execute it the best he can. The improv, though, is really what you want in a lot of quarterbacks is being able to uh, diagnose what's what's going on as it's happening, and then kind of find a way to get around it or find a way to improve upon it because even if you have the perfect design play, it's not going to run perfectly every single time. And I think that's where Kirk struggles a lot is when the play breaks down and he doesn't have his person that he's supposed to be throwing the ball to. So I think that there's some issues there. Is it something that I think could iron out with time? No, I just think that that's the kind of quarterback that he is. Uh, C Lars 23 sports asked how far are the Vikings going to go? Um, Honestly, the way that I see it, they there's it's, it's one of two ways that it could go down. Uh, the Vikings could go in and out, which is something that I think that they'll be doing. I think that they're going to be going to the playoffs and leaving the playoffs all in the same week. Uh, I don't think that they get past the Saints. The other way is that they get past the Saints and they head to San Francisco. I don't think they get past San Francisco. Now, could I be wrong? Sure. Could they have this re- uh, resurgence in the playoffs? Exactly, yeah, they could. Um, the only reason I say that... I don't see that happening is because they're they're heading in with two losses already, a devastating loss to Green Bay, and then a loss to Chicago. So loss is still like fresh on their tongue. And I think they might overthink a couple of things in this game against the Saints that could kind of screw them. And I also think that their ineptitude at being able to Switch from being just a run-first offense to people that can improvise and, and adapt along along with the game. I think that that's something that you need deep in the playoffs. So even if they got past the Saints, having to do that against a team like the 49ers with a, a very stout running defense, I don't see them getting past that. Uh, it's just a, It's kind of like a hurdle that you have to kind of brace yourself and be ready for. I don't think that this is the end all for the Vikings, and this is the last year that they can go to the playoffs and blah 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 blah. Here's the thing: they have a good solid team. They've got a good solid base. They need to improve on that, right? The thing is, they can't go into next year being so one dimensional, right? That that would be like my takeaway for this year for Minnesota is like, you went in, you you executed the things that you did but you were so one-dimensional that you couldn't get past teams with stout running defenses. Uh, and that's, that's what I have to say on the subject. Uh, remember to rate and review all good points on your favorite podcast platform. You guys follow me on Twitter at Ricky Gray Jr. And uh, I will see you next week and we'll talk about how bad it was.